to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning again. Welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to be in in worship with you this morning. I want to apologize if I look a little tired this morning. I was... I was up late last night taking care of our, our baby daughter and watching the Gonzaga Bulldogs win. So, yes. <laughs> Today is the last day to, uh, to sign up for next Sunday's uh, chili lunch, which we're going to have in Alderman Hall. A good time for us to gather together. You can do that on the church website. also want to remind you on Mondays at noon, uh, the, new, uh, the Monday following that Sunday sermon, we're going to discuss uh, the Sunday sermon. And if you have questions or you want clarifications about something, you can email those in to Terry Kish at terry at roswellpress.org. And um, we're closing the distance, trying to explore these themes because a lot of people have further questions and want to go a little deeper. And that's on Facebook Live, on the uh, church Facebook website, or it's on the uh, church website as well. And so everybody is welcome uh, to join there. Today we continue our Lenten sermon series, Less is More. What are the things in our lives that are suffocating us spiritually? Is it possible to have too much of a good thing? What's preventing us from flourishing as human beings? Last week we talked about bringing our calendars to church. Need to prioritize and reevaluate our schedules, how we spend our time. Today's passage occurs in the midst of Jesus' largest body or collection of Jesus' moral and ethical teachings. It happens in Matthew 6. It's what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus here is discussing how we should be in relationship or attached to our stuff, to our physical belongings. So let us open our hearts and our minds for the word of the Lord from Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask in the next few moments, you might be our teacher, that you might speak a word by your spirit to our hearts that only you can speak. Lord, this is a complicated issue about how we are related to our stuff, so we pray that you might shine a light on it, that you might teach us how maybe less can be more. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. For where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. If your heart was a storage locker and we looked inside, what would we find? My father used to manage a storage company. 
that had a bunch of storage lockers that people would rent out to store their belongings in. And he said one of the fascinating things about this business was the amount of money people would spend to store things that he eloquently called junk. So it was fascinating. People would actually spend more money to store their stuff than their stuff was actually worth. One of the interesting events in the storage locker management industry is when a person would stop paying rent on their storage space. Could be for a number of reasons. Maybe they moved. They couldn't afford it anymore. Some people died. But in that event, they would host and hold an auction to auction off all of the stuff inside the storage locker. They would announce the date and the time, and people would come from all around. They'd gather to bid on the stuff in the storage locker. There's an interesting thing about the auctions at these storage locker units is that once it was announced, people would come, but they would not allow people to go in the storage locker. You just had to look in from the edge of the storage locker which meant, in the end, you would be bidding on stuff you didn't know what you were bidding on. My dad said it was fascinating to watch people buy stuff they didn't know they were buying. And hearing about this whole process made me a little bit more existential about the whole process. How many people spend their lives accumulating stuff only to have it auctioned off to the highest bidder? When had this stuff been put there? Why was it abandoned? How much of our lives is spent accumulating stuff that we'll never use and that we don't need? Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In this one verse, 2,000 years ago, Jesus teaches us a truth which we now in our own time can verify empirically. The accumulation of our stuff, the more treasure we seek to accumulate, will not bring us more happiness. It's true. As part of happiness studies, one of the most prominent was done at Princeton University, but a bunch of research has proven this, that there's kind of a plateau to happiness. The plateau happens somewhere between $60,000 and $75,000 a year. And once you've Make that much money. Making more money will not bring you more happiness. More money will not make you more happy. Yet how many people are, are desperately sacrificing what they really care about, their family, their friends, their hobbies, their free time, the things that they enjoy, to accumulate more stuff and more possessions? We would be good to heed the advice and wisdom of Biggie Smalls. More problem, more money, more problems. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I think we have a calling to help people make a living wage, to help them find work to provide for themselves and their families. So I don't think we should say to someone in poverty, be content in your poverty, build up treasure in heaven. I don't think that's the point Jesus is making here. I think Jesus wants us to have a living wage to be able to take care of ourselves and our loved ones. But let's not confuse that with finding ultimate value, ultimate meaning in our possessions. 
But as human beings, this is hard not to do. As human beings, we are constantly and seemingly, continually trying to put infinite value in finite things. This is what the Bible calls idolatry. We're taking our physical belongings, our stuff, and turning them into little gods. In fact, the writer John Calvin once said, the human heart is an idol factory. We can't help ourselves almost. Continually investing finite things with infinite value that they cannot hold. Try to find ultimate joy in our stuff. It's said that the human being is born with a God-shaped hole in our hearts. And we try to fill it up with stuff, but it will never satisfy that hole. And so Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. This is the way things go. People will steal your stuff. Things will break. What is new will be turned old. This is just what happens to the material possessions of the world. This is the way the world works, Jesus says, and you should prepare yourself for it. Don't spend your life trying to fill up storage lockers. Be careful about investing too much emotion, too much value and worth in what you own. And so to help us in this process, Jesus gives us three warnings. The first is, he warns us about attachment disorder. You will be setting yourself up for a life of stress, worry, and fear if you are overattached to your stuff. Being overattached to your stuff will lead you away from the kingdom of heaven. This is why Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. In the Greek translation, the passage literally reads, do not treasure treasure on earth. Do not treasure treasure on earth. Jesus is warning us about loving, valuing, cherishing our physical belongings too much because moth and rust consume and thieves break in and steal. Our stuff will get ruined. Our treasure can get stolen. So be appropriately attached to your stuff. I think most of us intuitively know this truth. We know our physical belongings will get broken and our stuff can get stolen. But we still find ourselves overly attached to this stuff. Do you remember the first time that something you cared about got ruined? I was thinking, you know, I had a life-changing experience regarding this issue right after I moved to Atlanta. And I lived in this apartment building that threw an annual Halloween party for the neighborhood. Several hundred folks would come. And in the first year, as the guests were arriving, the organizer turned to me and said, I need you to tap the keg. And then ha handed me the tap. Now, I had never done this before. And as I've discovered, there's a real art to it. So I go over to the keg, which I'm sure had root beer in it, and there were all these people crowding around with solo cups. And there was a lot of pressure because everybody was watching me. And I pushed down on the keg, and I was at a little late pulling up the lever. And so beer goes spraying all over and onto this guy standing there. And I'm trying not to laugh, but let me tell you, this guy was not laughing. 
And he says to me, he says, do you know how expensive these shoes are? Do you know how much they cost me and you've ruined them? And he looks like he's going to punch me. And I say, sir, if you can't afford to get your shoes dirty, you probably shouldn't have worn them to the Halloween party. And then I handed him the keg and went in the kitchen. He became so angry because his shoes were owning him. He was more worried about them than anything else. And so it's true. Before any expensive purchase, now I ask myself, what will I do if someone accidentally sprays beer all over it? (laughs) Can I afford for it to get smashed or scratched? How bad will it feel if it's stolen or broken? If I cannot deal with that possibility, I will pass on the purchase. As human beings, we tend to get over-attached to our stuff. Things become irreplaceable, and then we value them over the really and truly important things. We must be on the lookout for attachment disorder. Because, number two, if we don't, it will lead to anxiety. We can become overwhelmed with anxiety, fearing that we will lose what we own. Let me show you how this works. Let's say you get a new car. You get a new car and you have to get insurance for it. Once you get insurance for it, you have to get a garage to protect it. Once you get a garage, you have to get a security system to protect the garage and the car with the insurance. Once you get that, you have to get a gate at the end of your driveway to protect the garage, the security system, with the car, with the insurance. But then you have to move into a gated community to protect the gate, protect the garbage, the garage, the security system, with the car, with the insurance. It goes on and on because this is how anxiety and fear works. The possibility of losing what we own can control us. And worrying about our possessions pushes us away from one another and from God. We become possessed by our possessions. As soon as this happens, we begin to say things like, I can't let you borrow my car. What if it gets a scratch? You can't borrow my clothes. What if you get them dirty? I can't give you a gift. What if I don't get anything in return? The anxiety of, what we lo- of losing what we have guess what? It leads us to desire more. That's third. Because we think if we accumulate more, then that will protect us from losing what we have. And so we'll have an attitude of acquisitiveness. If we have more, we think we can fend off the fear of losing what we already have. This is why John D. Rockefeller, at the time he owned 1% of the United States economy, was asked, how much money is enough? And he said, ah, Just a little more. (laughs) You don't need to be John D. Rockefeller to know this. Have you you ever read the, the children's book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie? If you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to ask for a glass of milk. And when you give him milk, he'll probably ask for a straw. And when he's finished, he'll ask for a napkin. And then he'll ask for a mirror to make sure he doesn't have a milk mustache. And when he looks in the mirror, he'll notice he needs a trim, so he'll ask for scissors. You get the idea. Just just to be clear, that children's book, it's not about mice. 
You are the mouse. We are the, the mice. As we become obsessed with our stuff, possessed by our possessions, it has a distorting and disfiguring effect on our relationships. One of the great images of this phenomenon comes in Gollum from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Gollum becomes obsessed with his possession of the ring. And for hundreds of years, he says, precious, my precious. And it detaches him and separates him from all relationships. It disfigures himself physically. And Tolkien is making a point here. If you become possessed by your possessions, you'll be disfigured and distorted. Being possessed by our possessions will alienate ourselves from others and from God. We'll value those things more than our families, more than our friends, more than our relationship with God. And this will not bring us the joy we truly seek. Because all human beings want to be filled with joy. These are the things of God. These are the, these are the treasures of heaven. Now, one of my favorite illustrations on this theme comes from the, one of my favorite short stories by the Russian writer Leo Tolstoy. It's called, How Much Land Does a Man Need? Vladimir Putin would do himself and the world a favor if he read Tolstoy's story and took the message to heart. But since Russia is kind of unfashionable right now, I rewrote the short story for our own time. The title is, How Many Storage Lockers Does a Man Need? A man was called to a storage facility, and it had many storage lockers in it. The owner said, this visitor could have the untold riches that lay behind the doors of the lockers. All he had to do was go to each locker open up the door, go through the piece of chalk and mark the boundary of the locker. All he had to do was get back to his starting point by sunset. And then he could have all of the treasures that lay within them. The man thought he was being offered the deal of a lifetime. So he set out, going to individual lockers, opening the door, going in, marking them with chalk. It was amazing. He was just dreaming of all the riches he was going to have. In one locker, he, there were diamonds and rare, precious stones, and he let them dangle and fall through his hands. But he had to hurry. He had to get going. So he went to the next locker, and he discovered a beautiful, classic car, and he has to climb all over it, hurriedly trying to mark the edges of the locker. He goes to another locker, which had antiques. Another locker had sports memorabilia. He rushed from storage unit to storage unit. He was going throughout the day. He was sweating and out of breath. He skipped lunch, didn't drink any water. By the end of the day, he was exhausted. And he realized suddenly there was almost sunset. And so he almost crawled back to his starting line. And there he collapsed at the feet of the owner. And the owner began to count up the storage units that the man had marked, one, two, three, 10, 20. Suddenly he looks down and he realizes the man is no longer breathing, he's died. So he picks up the man, takes him around the corner to the funeral home. And he goes to the desk and he says, this man just died, do you have anywhere we could store him? He says, yes. We have a unit about six feet long, two feet wide, 
and a foot deep. And in the end, that's the only storage locker a man really needs. Don't spend your life acquiring stuff that you don't need and will never use. Don't be plagued with anxiety or acquisitiveness. It won't bring you the joy you seek. Only Christ can do that. And he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Sometimes less is more. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this great wisdom, this great direction you give us to life so that in saying no to some things, we can say yes to being more. Lord, we thank you for paving the way for us to be in relationship with you, with our community, but also with our stuff. And pray. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.